Today on Blue 58, the Minnesota Vikings made like the 2018 Chicago Bears and nabbed themselves a pass rusher right before the start of the season. So what are they getting in Yannick Ngakwe? Will he make a difference in the NFC North? Then, what Packers storylines are real and which ones are just noise? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another show. And what a show it is. We've got a lot to cover in this episode, and I'm excited. want to get a couple announcements out of the way first and foremost. First, if you've been following along with our conversations around the stats that we track at thepowersweep.com, you'll know that we track explosive plays. That page for that specific tracking activity is now live at thepowersweep.com. If you head to that website and track over the stats header at the top of the page, you'll see that there is now a page active for explosive plays. You'll see there... Uh, how the Packers did last year in recording their 107 explosive plays, who was responsible for each of those plays, broken down by runs and passes. And then you'll see how some of their biggest names on offense have performed over the past six seasons, dating back to 2014. Why 2014? Well, that's when Devontae Adams broke into the league with the Packers, and I figured it didn't make much sense to go much beyond that because Aaron Rodgers would have been the only other skill position player playing before 2014. So you can take a look season by season totals for each of the Packers' active skill position players right now and then uh, and then see how they did last year. And we're tracking those throughout the 2020 season as well. Then, after a question from a listener last episode about uh, pass rush percentage or, or play-by-play pass rushing rates. Uh, We have now added pass rush percentage to our pass rushing um, stats page. So it won't just be production ratio on that page anymore. We'll just be, we'll be tracking that along with pass rush percentage there too. So you'll be able to see how all the active pass rushers on the Packers are doing in that respect as well. Finally, there is an additional post up for our Patreon listeners. If you would like to check that out there, it's uh, just taking a look at Uh, no less than the records of every team in NFL history, how they have fared over the lifetime or the time that they've been in the NFL. Uh, Calculated this all, broke it all down, made a cool visualization. Check it out. I think it's going to be worth your time. That is only for Patreon supporters, uh, but a dollar per month gets you access to all that content. And the goal is going to be to try to do something at least every other week, uh, hopefully every week there, as long as we can keep that up throughout the regular season. I don't want to promise that, but that is going to be going to be the goal. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. Uh, but I, I do have some cool stuff in the works there as well. You may have heard, in fact, if you've been listening to this very podcast, you probably heard that the Vikings made a move on the edge this weekend. Uh, they've traded for former Jacksonville Jaguars defensive end Yannick Ngakwe. And I'm really irritated at them because just as I was getting used to spelling out and pronouncing Juszczyk after all the comparisons between Josiah Degara and Kyle Juszczyk this offseason, now I have to figure out how to spell and say Yannick Ngakwe. We're getting there. It's not great. On the football field, this is a good move for the Vikings. They traded a 2021 second and a conditional fifth in 2022 that's that's not a lot. They also get him at a pay cut, and Ngakwe gets to get out of Jacksonville. So if you look at who gets what in this trade, the Jaguars get a couple draft picks, the Vikings get a good pass rusher, 
Ngakwe gets to get out of Jacksonville. And boy, did he want to get out of Jacksonville. He took a pay pay cut to get out of there. He's also going to be getting paid less because Minnesota has income tax and Florida does not. And he gets a chance to, to be a free agent after this season. Um, which is what he really wanted anyway. He's going to hit true free agency. Presumably his rework deal with the Vikings, haven't seen all the details, but it's going to include a no tag provision. I would would guess that's the trade-off for taking a little bit less money, Uh, but that seems to be what he wants and he's going to get a chance to do that. So what are the Vikings getting here? Well, first they're going going to be getting a guy who's ready week one. Look back at the Bears trade for Khalil Mack, a very similar situation. Uh, They traded for Mack on September 1st, 2018, and he played on the 8th. He wasn't 100%, didn't play the whole game, may have been pretty gassed there at the end, but pass rushers don't have to be 100% to make a difference, and Ngakwe could make a difference for the Vikings in week one. In terms of the player, what are they getting? Availability, uh, it's, it's a really good attribute to have in the midst of a pandemic. He's been in the lineup for 63 of 64 games so far in his four-year NFL career. He's been remarkably consistent throughout the four years he's been in the league. He's at eight or more sacks each and every season. He's had a production ratio of at least 1.38 every year. He had two seasons where he was over two, which is really, really good. His pressure percentage has never been lower than 7.3. It was a nine last season, but maybe not entirely the most dialed-in season of his career so far last year as his issues with the Jaguars run pretty deep. Uh, they're getting a pretty good ceiling here, too, on, on Mr. Ngakwe. I would say his his ceiling is probably right up near Zadarius Smith, maybe a couple years removed from his best two seasons in the NFL. Maybe it's between Zadarius and Preston Smith somewhere, but that's still a pretty darn good pass rusher. And if you're pairing him with Daniil Hunter, that's something every team is going to have to be aware of. So what's the bottom line here? Really, I think the the ultimate takeaway here is that this is a great get for the Vikings pretty late in the game here. And it's probably going to pan out for both the Vikings and Ngakwe, I'm sorry to say. Uh, you hate to see good moves happening for a division rival at this point of the of the, the NFL calendar, but the Vikings went out and got a good one. And... Um, you know, I don't I don't know how much it moves the needle in the NFC North as a whole. CBS Sports in their breakdown of the trade said it, it might make the Vikings the favorite now. I don't know if I'd go that far. But really, I, I don't think that's the right way to look at it. I think it, it's a pretty simple binary choice. If the options are go get a playmaker at a pretty affordable price, even if you're not going to have them for all that long, and not doing that, you go and get them and hope for the best. And that's a strategy that tends to work out. If, if things don't work out for the Vikings, if they have a bad year or he gets hurt or whatever, they're only out $12 bucks and a second-round pick in a draft that probably wasn't going to be all that great anyway. Uh, things are going to get wild here in the, in the spring for the draft. We'll talk about that more here in a second, but they, they probably aren't giving up that much in the way of, of capital considering what we're going to have to go on as far as scouting for players in the draft next spring. That, that's a pretty good gamble if if you're the Vikings, and I think it's a worthwhile one, and, and it was a good move for them. Dialing it back to last week, uh, we talked about a new segment on the show, talking about what we're reading recently. Here are three things that I have been reading, uh, and each of these are linked in your show notes. I think this will help you enhance your understanding of the game at least a little bit. First and foremost, how offensive tactics tackles keep edge rushers on their toes 
by Brandon Thorne, writing for USA Football. So the premise of this article is there is so much that goes into being an offensive lineman that we never even see or can't even really notice in real time. This article dives into just one really small part of that, how a lineman basically stands at the line of scrimmage. Uh, A pass set has to do how you drop into pass protection on a passing play, and this article goes deep on why and how elite tackles, David Bakhtiari is one that's highlighted in the article, um, approach that. So here's a couple paragraphs to whet your appetite. Quote, the most polarizing matchup on the line of scrimmage is usually the one between an offensive tackle and a pass rusher. This is because they are each usually the most athletic linemen on either side of the ball and operating in the most space and thus most visible to the viewer. This is much like a cornerback against a wide receiver in man coverage. Mirroring the offensive player while moving at a backwards angle is the general premise. This comparison falls apart rather quickly after that, but the initial backwards movement from each position puts them at a tremendous disadvantage, leaving little margin for error and forces each, at least initially, to rely more on technique than athleticism. Corners can rely on a variety of techniques and press man coverage to disrupt the receiver's release, and tackles do something similar by switching up their path set. This leads to rushers having to deal with different depths, angles, and timing with their footwork and hand usage, end quote. The videos are really what you're going to want to take a look at in this article. They show how an elite tackle like David Bakhtiari can affect what an edge rusher is able to do simply by how he sets up for a play. It's fascinating. The link is in your notes. Check it out. Second thing to which I would like to direct your attention is Todd McShay talking about the 2021 NFL Draft. This is not so much a read as a listen from the Ryan Rosillo podcast via the Ringer Podcast Network. Todd McShay appeared with uh, with Mr. Rosillo a couple weeks back, um, and he's not pulling any punches for what the 2021 NFL draft could look like. He says it's going to be wild because teams aren't going to have any idea what's going on. He advised, McShay, says any player who thinks they can go in the first three to four rounds, maybe even beyond that of the 2021 NFL draft, to opt out of whatever season is going to come around in the spring. Because it, it just breaks down to simple math for him. So basically, and, and you should listen to him explain it because he has some interesting alternatives for these guys that he is proposing, but basically it comes down to this. Say you're an elite college prospect, and your conference, say you play in the Big Ten, has said we're not going to play fall football this year. But we are going to try to play in the spring. What is your 2021 going to look like if you decide to play college football? Well, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go, go play 10 games of spring football. You're going to go through your pre-draft process. You're going to get drafted in the first couple rounds. You're going to go into rookie minicamp, then OTAs then training camp, then play a handful of preseason games, then play an entire NFL schedule. At minimum, you're probably going to be playing close to 26 football games in a calendar year. If your team makes a postseason run in college or in the NFL, you could play over 30. That's not even counting preseason games, really, if you end up playing those games too. Who would do that? 
Who thinks that's a good idea? That's the equivalent of almost two full NFL seasons. It's just a bad idea. Your body is not going to hold up. So he thinks anybody with a realistic shot at getting drafted in the first, say, two days should opt out and say, scout me based on 2019. And honestly, it's pretty hard to argue with his logic. Listen to the whole thing, though. I think it's worth your time. Finally, calling some attention to I think is what I think is a really good piece from a colleague of mine at Acme Packing Company, Peter Bukowski. Uh, he writes what he calls a big to-do, the Packers punch list for improving in 2020. Neat and tidy approach for identifying what the Packers need to do in 2020 basically gives them three things on a checklist, what they need to do to be better than they were in 2019. First and foremost is just banking on Aaron Rodgers to execute play action better. Peter writes, quote, Rodgers may not be 2011 Rodgers, but he's not one of the five worst guys in the league at anything. We can expect some positive regression here in play action just by chance, but also because these concepts are no longer new. The version of this team we saw against the Seahawks and even to some extent against the 49ers likely means more or will likely more closely resemble the offense that we can expect in 2020, which means more big personnel, more play action, and better efficiency off of it, end quote. Check out that piece, all three of which uh, are linked in your show notes. So circling back to our friend, Mr. Ryan Rosillo, uh, I would like to steal a bit that he and Scott Van Pelt did when they did a radio show together, the SVP and Rosillo show. Very original names. Radio types are super creative with stuff like that, I should know. Um, but th- they had a great little bit that they did on their show basically called headline or story. Is it a headline or is it a story? Basically, the the premise is that a lot of the things that we talk about that generate heat in the media are just headlines. So-and-so had a bad day. Uh, So-and-so had a really cool play. Here's what it means for the rest of the season. All of those are just headlines. They're not necessarily stories unless there's some real meat to them. Training camp is good for generating things that are both headlines and stories. So I want to take a look at six to eight, uh, looks like nine things here, that could be headlines or storylines coming out of training camp. So we're going to analyze each of them. First and foremost, we got to talk about Jordan Love struggling. This is not a storyline to me. This is just a headline. Because you know who struggles in their first training camp? Everybody, there is always an amount of struggle for rookies in their first NFL training camp, especially quarterbacks, especially quarterbacks who are known to be projects, especially quarterbacks who are known to be projects that haven't played any football at all since the senior bowl. It's been more than half a year without football for Jordan Love. And this is a guy that we knew was going to need some development anyway. It would be a bigger surprise if he didn't struggle in training camp. And to the extent that he's struggling, we don't really know because we've not seen him at all in any real game action. And you know who hasn't, who also hasn't seen him in any real game action? Everyone. There's been no preseason games, no games at all, since the Senior Bowl. That he's struggling is not a story. It's a headline. An interesting one, maybe. One worth considering for a little while, but ultimately not one that's reflective on where Jordan Love is as a prospect at this point. 
Second, and related to this, the story out of camp is that Aaron Rodgers looks pretty good. Some people have said really good. The stories, the reports out of each and every training camp practice so far have broadly seemed to be that he has looked really, really sharp. And I think that's a story worth following with an asterisk. There's more to this than just the headline that Aaron Rodgers looks good because every training camp player who's been around for a little while is going to look good at some point. But Aaron Rodgers being in the second year of this system is a story worth following. I'm not saying the story that he looks good right now is going to be something that carries throughout the 2020 season. But if Aaron Rodgers can continue to play well, especially in his second year in Matt LaFleur's system, that could be a story, that could be a reality that uh, that carries the Packers throughout all of the 2020 season. Because as good as Aaron Jones is, Aaron Rodgers, I think, is still going to be the deciding factor on the ultimate fortunes of the 2020 Packers. The Packers' defense is is pretty good, but it's not like an elite all-time good squad that's going to carry them to a Super Bowl no matter who's at quarterback. Aaron Jones is good, but running backs just don't carry teams like that anymore outside of 2012 Adrian Peterson. That has to be the last time a single running back really made a huge, huge difference in a team's overall fortunes to the extent that they could rely on him as their primary offensive outlet. If Aaron Rodgers can be sharp, and continue to be sharp throughout the 2020 season. That's a story worth following. How about media restrictions? This generated some heat for a while, including on this very podcast. I still stand by everything I said about Brian Gutekunst and the team's media restrictions. It's it's ridiculous to restrict the media. It's difficult to justify really any any sort of restrictions. And I know the uh, the sell job about you know, other teams scouring beat reports and things like that. And I'll, I'll, I'll rest on what I said before. If your team is bad enough that that's going to make a difference in another team's preparation for you, you should just cancel practice anyway because it's not going to make that big of a difference. That having been said, the furor over the media restrictions at training camp was way more of a headline than it was a story. Think about what we've heard coming out of camp so far. Do you think it would look meaningfully different if we were able to get every single detail out of camp? I don't think so. I've listened to the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel Packers News Packers podcast just about every episode they've released. I've read everything from The Athletic. I've read as much as I can get without going behind the paywall on PackersNews.com. There's not much missing. I would be worried about this setting a precedent for restrictions in the future. I think ultimately in the long run and even in the short run, it's better to have more access than less. But I'm not sure we missed out on all that much. One of the things that we learned about in training camp prior to the media lockdown was that the Packers were using Tyler Irvin in a bunch of different ways, including spending some time with the wide receivers. I'm going to say this is a headline more than a storyline because of the other playmakers the Packers have on offense. As interesting a prospect as Irvin can be, I still think there's a not a very good chance that he is going to be a, a huge difference maker on a game-by-game basis. I think it's more like a microwavable instant offense type, not quite gadget player, but pretty close to a gadget player. 
I'm going to need to see a lot more out of Tyler Irvin to think that it's any more than, than just a nice little tidbit um, to think that he's going to do a whole lot in 2020. And I liked him probably as much or more than anybody last year. He added some nice little elements to their offense. I'm still not sure it's more than an element at this point. But sticking in the running back room, A.J. Dillon's legs are going to be a storyline forever. I don't know how you could argue otherwise. Switching to defense, um, there's a big story, a couple big stories, about Josh Jackson looking better in training camp now that he's been asked to play exclusively outline, outside. This, to me, is a storyline. It seems like a headline, right? Hey, so-and-so looks good, right? Yes, but... It's a storyline to me in a kind of different sort of way. I would like you to cast your mind back to the summer of 2018. That was when draft pick Quentin Rollins was entering his third season with the Packers. And the storylines out of training camp were, hey, look at this. Quentin Rollins is running with the first team. Looking pretty good. Hey, look, they're trying Quentin Rollins at safety. He could do a lot of different things. And what happened to Quentin Rollins? He got cut. Sometimes when you're a coach... You give a guy an opportunity to cut himself. You let him do absolutely everything. Let's just see if there's anything that this guy can do. And if not, we'll just cut him and move on. I'm not saying that's exactly what's happening with Josh Jackson, but they've tried him in the slot. They've tried him playing in the slot and outside. They've tried him playing at safety. And now they're just saying, hey, we're going to let you just do this one thing that you're supposedly really good at. To me, it seems like we're in the midst of a storyline here, and we're in the midst of a storyline that's coming to an end. That's where it's pointed, at the very least. Related to that, a story we should be following, and yes, I'll just spoil it right away, this is a story coming out of camp. The 2018 draft class is looking pretty shaky heading into year three. Still remaining from that first draft class by Brian Gutekunst, are Jair Alexander, Josh Jackson, Oren Burks, J.K. Scott, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Equinemius St. Brown, and Hunter Bradley. So far, this camp alone, they've already cut Cole Madison and James Looney. And prior to that, Jamon Moore and Kendall Donerson were already out the door. So that leaves us with Jair Alexander, a solid corner. Josh Jackson, a not-so-solid corner with some big questions. Oren Burks, who can't get on the field. A punter. Two receivers with big question marks and a long snapper. If somebody other than Jair Alexander doesn't turn into a fairly significant contributor, you might as well just call this draft class Jair Alexander and nobody else. It's nice to have a good punter, sure. It's nice to have a reliable long snapper, sure. But I don't think you can really save a draft class based on getting a solid punter and long snapper. The Packers need more out of this draft class. And that's a story worth following here as we approach cut day and head into the regular season. Not a 2018 draft pick, but another guy getting similar stories to Josh Jackson is Kingsley Kiki. The story out of training camp is that Kingsley Kiki is ready to take a jump. He's in good shape. He can play inside. He can do do outside stuff. Last year was a tune-up year, but this year he's ready to go. 
And I think that's a storyline worth following for similar reasons to Josh Jackson. I'm not saying Kingsley Kiki is ready to get cut. I'm not saying anything like that. But sometimes you end up talking yourself into a guy because he's made some offseason improvements and he looks good because you haven't seen any other football players in a while. Remember Montrevious Adams a year ago? He was one of Mike Pettin's most talked about players. Couldn't say enough good things about Montrevious Adams. His work ethic, the way that he's changed his body, the, the way that he's doing good things in the classroom, stuff like that. Copy, paste that to 2020 and change the name to Kingsley Kiki. You got the same stories. Maybe he wasn't in Pettin's doghouse in 2019, but he sure didn't play a lot. Kind of like Montrevious Adams in 2018. Now Kiki is supposed to be a big contributor on the defensive line a lot like Montrevious Adams a year ago. And after the Packers didn't make a lot of moves on the defensive line in the offseason, and certainly not in the draft, it's pretty much Kiki or Adams or Bust up front. That's a story worth watching heading into 2020. Finally, it's looking like it's going to be a tough year for undrafted free agents. And I'm not sure if this is a story or a headline, But I think there's a better than average chance that the Packers don't have any undrafted free agents on their initial 53-man roster this year. I'm trying to find a spot for one, and it's pretty tough. Maybe a corner, maybe Stanford Samuels. I I think he'd be the closest one. But other than that, it's a long-shot year for just about everybody. And I'm not sure how big a story that is, if it's one at all. But I think it has to put a little bit of a crimp in your player development pipeline. Undrafted free agents have always been a big part of what the Packers do, for good or for ill. But if you don't have anybody, even at this point, who's even getting a chance, it seems like it just by necessity has to put a little bit of a crimp in, in, the, in the players you have working their way up to the active roster. This is not something that's unique to the Packers, of course. Everybody's dealing with these sorts of crunches and these sorts of situations where they just don't have the opportunities for guys to really make a name for themselves in camp. But still, it is interesting to see a good chance at no undrafted free agents uh, coming out of, of camp this year, at least no undrafted rookies. You might have guys like Josh or Josh Nyman really really taking a run at the roster, but, but even so... Um, Undrafted free agents may have an an extra tough go as far as making the roster this year. What are your favorite storylines coming out of training camp this year? Are they headlines or are they real stories? Let us know wherever you listen to this show. You can, again, as a reminder, listen on YouTube now. Um, That service is back up for you, and I I appreciate all of our listeners there. Uh, Check in on you from time to time. Love to read your comments. Uh, Thanks for sending them. Uh, I love each of you. Um, I love everybody who takes the time to download this episode. Numbers have been great lately uh, on all the episodes downloading. Uh, there's been an, uh, just some inside baseball here. Um, I subscribe to a, a couple podcasts, like periodical newsletter type things, and there's been some hand-wringing industry-wide about listener numbers dropping because of the pandemic and, and all that type stuff. I haven't seen it. Um, downloads have been steady all off season long. Usually we see a little bit of a regression, uh, just because it's the off season and people aren't as dialed in on football, not for you guys. So thank you so much for that. That's been, that's been really cool to see. Downloads have been steady 
all off season long. So, so thank you for that. We'll keep churning out the content now as we, we head into the regular season and what a season it's going to be. Can't say it's going to be boring. So I've got for you in this episode. If you think this episode uh, meant something to you, if you liked it, if you think it would be worthwhile for somebody else to hear, do me a favor and share it with that person. That helps us grow the conversation around the Packers and ultimately helps all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.